Today on our Seeds for Success show, we celebrate all things women as we launch International Women's Day coming up at the end of the week. We introduce Rebecca Casson, CEO of Committee for Geelong, and we talk about other hiring options aside from hiring a staff member. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Harvest Recruitment's Seeds for Success show, where successful managers and experts share their insights to help you recruit and retain the right people in your organisation. Now here's your host, Marie Harris. Hello, my name is Marie Harris, and I'm Director of Harvest Recruitment and Harvest Human Resources, and we help managers attract, select and retain the right people within their organisation. And we're delighted to bring you our podcast shows specifically designed to assist managers in that regard. However, today we're going to take a step to the left and celebrate International Women's Day. So I've handpicked some leaders of the region where I'm currently located, being Geelong, and those that really really resonate with me and who I admire for what they've achieved in leadership. So today we welcome Rebecca Casson, CEO of Committee for Geelong. And we also, of course, cover what's happening in our forum. Lots of events in March, so um, keep an ear out for our events. And also we'll provide you some more information based on a listener question about sourcing staff and, and what type of staff they can source. So sit back and enjoy the show. As we prepare for today's episode, I want you to think about a time where you've potentially gone on a long vacation or holiday, um, or perhaps you've been overseas for a period. Um, you may have relocated for work for a secondment um, or gone and been transferred for a couple of weeks for a handover, whatever it might be, think of the process that you go through, packing the suitcase, what do I need, what's at the other end, and depending on how remote you're going, getting an understanding of the culture and um, what do I need to know to live in that place, Um, all those things that can go through your mind as you prepare for your journey. Well, we have exactly that today with Rebecca Casson, who has been based out of the UK for many years. And then four years ago, I think it was five years, um, she decided to embark on an overseas jaunt, um, but a permanent one at that. Um, And she relocated from the UK to Australia. And um, she joins us today to talk a little bit more about her background and how she made that move. But it's a very bold one. And then to be able to land not only in any job, but to actually land herself in a very key instrumental role for the region. So I really um, welcome you to stay tuned and listen um, for our interview later on in the show. Also, one of the um, queries that we quite often get is around um, options for hiring people. Um, There are a lot of options available today, so we're going to cover that in our listener question. And our events, we've got... um, my book launch. I've finally released my book, Body Snatches, Unlocking the Secrets of the Recruitment Industry. So we've got a book launch mid-month. Then we'll be presenting at the Small Business Buffet. And also uh, we have our monthly breakfasts and webinars coming up. So listen out for the events section too. So without further ado, let's get started. Today's question. Today I'm going to answer the question, what 
other hiring options are available to me aside from placing a staff member. We have a number of organisations that we deal with who are building up their business and are growing from a, a micro scale to a small and a small to a medium. And as they embark on that journey, they quite often ask do I need to actually get a staff member? What else can I do um, to solve my gap that I have or the need that I have in my organisation? And we covered this at a breakfast uh, in February and it was something that was very well received and I realised not well known amongst the audience. So when we talk about um, bringing people onto the organisation, there's normally a need that is derived. Um, It's based on a um, shortage of staff or there's a specific project in mind, there's a specific deliverable that needs to be achieved. And from there, we start to map out, well, what is it that we need to have done And on what basis do we need to have that done? Um, Do we need that done a few hours a week? Do we, or can we guarantee a minimum of 20 hours, which means it might be a permanent part-time person, or is it a full-time resource that we're looking for? And through technology today, we have a host of different ways that we can source and fill a requirement. Um, And today I'm going to cover offshore outsourcing. You might go, what is offshore outsourcing? Well, until three years ago, I had no idea what offshore outsourcing was. um, And I thought it was getting overseas contractors into Australia, but it's not that at all. So in definition's sake, offshore outsourcing is when you have a requirement. So think about a requirement that you might have that you outsource to someone locally. So um, it might be IT, it might be payroll, it might be recruitment, um, it might be design and marketing. It might be administration that you 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 may seek assistance or a call center um, that you might to get to follow up some some invitations that you've sent out or a survey that you'd like to have done. All those things or a lot of those things where it's technology driven first and foremost can actually be outsourced overseas. So the person who fulfills the requirement is based overseas and they're delivering the requirement through technology according to your needs. So um, the ones that get outsourced very strongly are marketing and design, particularly design, graphic design, because designers the world over use the same software to put together their designs and they can deliver because quite often when you get your designer to deliver something to you, they design, they design and then they send it back to you in a PDF or a JPEG or um, an EPS file ready for print or ready to upload to a website. So all of that is done remotely. And now there's the option to actually use that resource but use it offshore. Now, what are the benefits? Of course, the number one is budget. Um, you can access a number of different people at a lot of different price points um, from overseas that are just significantly reduced when compared to their local compatriot. So, for example, I recently, as I was 
developing my book, I needed it just, um, I had all the cover and I had everything print ready for the, for going through the press, but I wanted something that I could just put on my website, a 3D design of exactly that. And I was able to put that to the offshore market and get it delivered in approximately one third of the price um, that it would have taken me locally. So that's obviously the key advantage. Um, depending on the, the need, um, if it's if it's not urgent, again, that could be an offshore thing. So we have done some database cleanse of our database. We had a lot of gaps in our client files, um, our candidate files, very much a work in progress. But just to get the, the main addresses and emails and phone numbers in place, that's a very um, repetitive routine job. Our database is cloud-based. So it, really login can happen anywhere in the world and you can have access to our database. So we gained a gentleman in India to actually do that. Now, you don't even want to know the difference in prices. Um, would I say the quality is as good as having someone in your own office? No, but it probably sits at about 70, 80%, which for that exercise, I'm happy to, to wear. And again, price point is probably one fifth to one tenth the price. So you're getting things done um, relatively um, cheaply and um, you're still getting the same deliverable. So when we look at outsourcing, we, we just tend to look at, well, is this an ad hoc requirement? Do I need it all the time? Do I not? If you don't need it all the time, you can actually outsource that function on an ad hoc basis. So you put it out as a project and you get someone to deliver it. I could actually, if I wanted to, have my whole podcast show edited offshore but I choose not to because I've got a fantastic editor who knows me too well and um, does a fantastic job locally. But it's something that it could be done overseas. The introduction to this podcast show was done through an offshore outsourced arrangement. Um, I, I actually used Fiverr, um, F-I-V-E-R-R.com and found myself someone who could do a voiceover and the jingle um, and deliver it as I required. For my database cleanse, I used elance.com. Now there, there's a host of people that will bid for your project. So you put the project out and then you get that depending on the need, you could get 20, 30, 40 plus people um, present for that project. And they tend to give you their portfolios of what they've done. And then you make a choice. You can even give them a trial if you like. So I gave my Elance guy, I call him Elance guy, a trial with our database to see, did he actually understand it? Could he update it? Did he know where the fields were? Could he navigate, self-navigate his way around? And he could. Um, and then for my design work, I used um, 99designs.com. And that's a fantastic tool. Um, a lot of the designers on 99designs are, are very qualified. And you do what's called a competition. And the same is done in architectural world, actually. And engineering, upstream engineering design, where um, people put it, put um, key designs out for competition and you actually have to enter the competition. And the same goes on 99design. So you might want to develop a new brochure and you put the specifications of the brochure up on 99designs. Now, 
in embarking on this, you have to be very clear with your specification because if you're a little bit broad, you can get a whole host of responses that come through. So I um, put some work up on 99 designs. I needed some breakfast invites done, um, a few other bits and bobs. And yeah, it was fantastic. I came back with um, someone who understood our brief and understood, had obviously done some research on our website. So got an understanding of the look and feel of Harvest Recruitment and Harvest HR and was able to deliver, to deliver um, the marketing collateral that we wanted. And all of those things are not all the time projects, but they are some of the time projects. And particularly the database cleanse. I was planning on delegating that to all of my staff members, um, but in delegating it offshore, all of my staff members could do something of greater value than I guess the very rudimentary database and data entry work. So that's freed them up to do bigger things, which I'm really pleased with. So just some ideas for you. So I've mentioned some websites already, um, but elance.com, have a look, freelancer. Com, have a look, 99designs and Fiverr, uh, fiverr.com as well. So I'll let you have a look in your own time, but um, it was something that people in our recent forum at our breakfast were going, oh, wow, how do you access that? How have you found it? So I'd encourage you to do a bit of your own research and see where you may be able to utilise that service before you actually embark on bringing on a part-time, full-time or even casual resource in your business. What's happening in the forum? So for those of you who are first-time listeners, we have two main interactive forums and it's our LinkedIn group, Harvest HR, and our Facebook page, Harvest Recruitment. We do a lot of dialogue on Harvest Recruitment's Facebook page, and when it's more professional in its tone, uh, we put that on LinkedIn as well. And most recently on Facebook, we have covered topics for the job seeker around changing jobs, which often happens first thing in the new year. Um, so you're looking at finding the new role for you, um, career transition. So, um, making career moves and, and how to do that and do that successfully. Uh, and then from an employer's perspective, of course, with people moving and changing, it's about getting the right fit for your organization. So, um, first of all, identifying that you do need a staff member and then how to find the right fit. We also transported over to Western Australia, um, and looked at the, dip in the economy there. So still on the East Coast, we look to WA as being the booming mining town, um, but things are not what they seem and appear to be. So there's some information about um, the not so booming WA economy and how the economy is approaching that. And so those, those things can be found, as I said, on our Facebook page, but more importantly, all of those topics are found on our blog page of our website, www.harvesthr.com.au. So if you want to get some um, information and, um, yeah, that you think might be relevant, whether you're a job seeker, whether you're a manager who's got some staff churn, um, or in WA, you might be going through a bit of a downturn and going, well, how are companies handling this. So yeah, we would encourage you to look out on Facebook world, look out on LinkedIn or look out on our blog page for some further news and views. 
So on Friday the 14th of March, I'll be having my book launch for my new book, Body Snatches, Unlocking the Secrets of the Recruitment Industry. And it's really a handbook for managers who struggle to find the right person for their organisation. So it answers the question, how can I get the right fit? And that will be held at the Sheraton, Four Points by Sheraton at the Geelong Esplanade from 5.30pm, 14th of March. Mark the date. Free drinks and nibbles. So it's a good one. Um, Next, the following week, we are participating in the Small Business Buffet, which is an initiative from Small Business Smart Business. And the Small Business Buffet will be held Tuesday, the 18th of March at the Geelong Convention Centre. And it goes from, I think, early morning, 7.30 till 5 in the evening. So if you want to get some tools and you're a small business, it covers the whole plethora of running business from legal to gaining funding to accounting to HR to recruitment. The list is endless. Marketing, social media, everything's going to be covered. And there's specific buffets for the micro business, for the establishing and growing small business, and for those businesses that need to reinvigorate. So they might've gone up and down a little bit and need to be reinvigorated. So I look forward to seeing you then um, at the Geelong Convention Centre in Eastern Park. And later in the month, we have our breakfast series. So Thursday, the 27th of March, we'll be holding our breakfast briefing. And the title for that is Candidate Sourcing Today, How to Find Candidates in a in a Different or in the new candidate sourcing era. And we'll look at some other ways that um, companies are successfully finding their candidates. So there's the three events. Um, the 27th of March is going to be held from 7.45am at Winters Cafe in Packington Street, Geelong. So hopefully we'll see you at one of our events soon. Something I'd just like to share as part of the feedback that we're getting from the market overall um, came as a result of the first publishing of my new book. Um, So Body Snatchers, I just wanted to share, I guess I had 20 years in my head that I wanted to really share with the audience um, of business managers who are looking to recruit better uh, for companies that are bringing an in-house function, um, perhaps in recruitment into their business and perhaps need to train those people, but overall to give companies greater confidence in their hire. A lot of companies hire staff and still are 50-50 on have I actually got the right one and we don't want our companies to fail. We actually want our companies to succeed and so I launched the book Um, and so we're still waiting on the final delivery of I think it's 250 books that will be coming to our door this week but we had the first press release um, of a few of the books and I had started to um, do some press releases to the media, particularly in the business pages of the local paper. And I managed to get a coffee with the journalist um, responsible for the business pages. And I had only one copy of my book and I had, I'd come from our breakfast where I was very proud. I was a proud um, owner or recipient of my book. And so I was showing the breakfast attendees um, the the hot off the press book. And then I went straight to the meeting with the journalist and 
journalists, you know, we, we need to um, respect their busyness and that they do get a lot of information coming their way. Um, so I was very respectful of the fact that I'd even gained a, a coffee meeting uh, with this journalist just to sort of have that firsthand view of who I am and what I do. And as a result, I showed her the book and she said, again, why aren't you doing yourself out of an industry? But there's um, a compelling strategy behind the book. And for me, who had been sort of knocking on the door, presenting press releases, I think I presented about five and one's been published. Um, she actually came back with, how would you like to write a series of articles around recruitment? After I picked up my jaw from the floor, <laughs> I was very excited with the opportunity. So we'll soon be also featuring in the local press um, with our recruitment and HR tips um, provided to the industry. And I would have to say it's thanks to the book. So um, not only is the book for for our audience going to help you solve your recruitment issues, but it's also helping us have that cut through with audience to demonstrate our credibility and our capability in the recruitment landscape. So that was just a nice thing that I could share with you. It is now with great pleasure that I introduce Rebecca Casson, CEO for Committee for Geelong, who is my um, interviewee for our podcast today. I actually approached Rebecca. I'd seen her on a couple of occasions, but more importantly, I'd seen what she'd been doing for Geelong and how she's really projected Geelong to the market, both nationally and overseas as a place to do business. When I first came to Geelong, I didn't even know the committee for Geelong existed. Um, Rebecca gained the role 18 months ago, and now I absolutely know that what the committee for Geelong is here to do. Um, what's more, astounding is Rebecca came to Geelong from having worked in um, the councils in the UK and she had a brief stint with City of Greater Geelong and through that she steered a number of projects which are still fair and square on the the discussion table for um, Geelong and Geelong's future. And from there, the job for CEO for Committee for Geelong was, I think, advertised, I do believe. And she would have had quite a strong competition locally vying for that role. And she jagged it. Now, I don't say jagged it lightly. She is definitely extremely qualified, extremely intelligent, and has a lot to offer our region. And it's why today that I have chosen Rebecca as an inspirational woman to lead our podcast leading up to International Women's Day. Okay, we're here with Rebecca Casson, who is CEO for the Committee for Geelong. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you, Marie. Very, very nice to see you. <laughs> Thank you. Now, today we're really wanting to learn a little bit more about you, in fact. So um, just to share with you, I guess, the journey you've you've taken to arrive at where you are today because you've been in Geelong I think it's five years is it now yes that's right yeah so just tell us a, a little bit about um, your background and what brought you here and then a little bit about what you've done prior to um, coming on as CEO for the committee for Geelong 
Sure. Well, my background is largely in politics and government in the UK, in Europe as well. So I've been in Geelong for five years, as you said, and and we decided to move to Geelong. I'd finished a, a massive project that I was working on in the UK, and we decided to uh, move to Geelong uh, simply because we found it on Google Earth and thought that it looked like a wonderful place to come and live. So we'd never visited Geelong before. So that was quite a big step. But prior to that, um, we, my family and I had lived uh, in the southern part of the UK, the southeast of England in Kent. So we were in between London and Europe. And I used to enjoy going shopping to Paris for the day. Beautiful. Uh, so I do miss that living in Geelong and, um, and certainly living in Australia with everything being quite far away. But it's a beautiful country. My background in politics and government, I worked for the largest local government authority in the UK. So in comparison, Geelong has 13 councillors and Kent had 84. And Gosh. I was a chief of staff in that organisation and we employed 56,000 people. And in comparison, for example, Geelong Council employs about 2,000. So it was a huge operation. And my portfolio as a as a chief of staff, uh, consisted of international relations, economic development, inward investment, etc. So I was also tasked with uh, evolving a relationship between the US and also the UK. And then I started to work for uh, the US as the executive director of the Jamestown 2007 committee. And that, that was out of the UK? Or? That was largely based in the UK, but I spent an enormous amount of my time traveling backwards and forwards uh, between the UK and the US and also did some work in Europe as well. We had an office in Brussels. And so that project was uh, was a very intense project. I had a, a an eminent board who uh, who tasked me with some very interesting projects. And Jamestown is the commemoration of the 400th anniversary of the founding of Jamestown, which is the first permanent English-speaking settlement in North America. And so they set me some really big tasks. And you might remember the Pocahontas story. So uh, that basically was the, the Virginia Indians who uh, didn't at that stage want to become involved with the commemoration. But as it turned out, we were able to convince them to become involved. And there were lots of projects like that or elements to the project that uh, that were quite intense. And the work that you did in the UK, was that um, promoting Kent and the, the, the region around Kent as well? Is, was that part of the mandate or was it something quite different? Yes, absolutely. And, and my portfolio also consisted of tourism as well. And, and we had an external tourism board, not dissimilar to the tourism uh, situation in Geelong. So we have tourism greater Geelong and the Bellarine that looks after the tourism here. So we had a similar setup in the UK. Mm. And to, to actually just uproot and leave, that's a major life-changing decision. What, what was bubbling along in, in life for, for Rebecca Casson at the time that went, Geelong looks nice? Well, after I'd finished that particular Jamestown project, uh, I, I had lots of reflections. And of course, part of the project was to work with Buckingham Palace. And I worked in the governor's office in Virginia and I'd done some really wonderful things. Um, and simply I, I thought, well, what, what else is going to top that? 
So we were actually thinking that we might move somewhere else in the world and, and have another adventure. And we had thought that we might move to the US. But on our way uh, through that journey, we came to Australia on holiday in 2007 and just instantly fell in love with it. Although we didn't visit Geelong on that particular occasion and went back to the UK and it was the, it was the Victorian government that sponsored us to come out. And we just gave up our jobs, sold our houses in the UK and moved here without, without knowing anyone really and um, without any jobs to go to, nowhere to live and just landed. Because the Victorian government sponsorship is sponsorship on skills, but not necessarily with an outcome that there is a role waiting for you, whereas most transfers occur with sponsorship by the employer. Yeah, so we came out on a, on a provisional visa, which uh, was for us for three years. So in, in that sense, we were given up everything that we had in the UK for three years of not really knowing what the outcome was. There was no promise of, uh, of permanent residency, of course, but we thought that it was a, really a good idea for us to come and take that risk. And, um, and, and it worked out in the end, but you're right. I mean, the, there are lots of different, uh, skilled migration programs now, the regional skilled migration program, but the Victorian government was quite fixed on the fact that they wanted skilled people to come to uh, Geelong to live and work here. Fantastic. And then how long did it take you to find your feet? Well, as it happened, we, we started off in Sydney and, and drove down to, um, and drove down to, uh, drove down to Geelong. And on that journey, I became terribly ill. And as it turned out, I had an appendicitis. So my first entry into Geelong was via the emergency room at Geelong Hospital and not knowing anybody and, you know, feeling quite frightened. But I was absolutely delighted to be looked after by some fantastic health practitioners and, and uh, you know, realise that the community here was a, a very welcoming community and quite quickly we established ourselves. So it's a real one of Geelong's real strengths and it's a real credit to the people that live here. And the first role was in a um, – well, just tell us about the first role at, at City of Greater Geelong. Um, it was a promotional role more than anything from what I see or well, what I, were you doing? Well, I did uh, certainly in the first few months that I was here, I actually finished off my book. So I did some academic. So you're a published author? That's right. So oh, I, tell us about your book. Give it a plug. Well, <laughs> I, uh, I did finish off my book and the book is on uh, the subject of paradiplomacy, which is the foreign relations of subnational government. And it was more a cathartic exercise really for me to write on all of the things that had happened through the uh, project working between Kent and, and Virginia. And so that was very, very pleasing for me to publish that particular book with a European publisher. And then after that, I decided that it would be a good idea for me to get a job. But we'd also come over here to get a better work-life balance. And our daughter, who was nine at the time, was still in, um, you know, in junior school. So we needed to, I needed to work part-time. Mm -hmm. And, um, so there was a job that came up at the City of Greater Geelong in their major projects department and it was something clearly uh, managing such a huge project in the UK and in the US that uh, I was quite experienced to do and, and I went and worked there for a few years. Wonderful. And I saw some of the achievements. You worked on the Yarra Pier project, which is still bubbling away. Um, Central Geelong, looking forward project. So that was the revitalisation of the CBD. That's right, yes. And still ongoing. Yes, absolutely. And a DVD that you now present to international parties who are interested in Geelong. 
as well. So a promotional, was it a promotional? Yeah, so in the major projects department, there there were many a council's funding priority projects that we were working on. And the the Yarra Street Pier project at that particular stage was just purely a, a marine pier. And then there was the suggestion that there might be uh, the opportunity to have it as a cruise ship destination. And so it was my role to to turn the project from a, a marine type of pier into a cruise ship destination pier. And I'm very pleased to see that the, the new mayor of Geelong, Darren Lyons, has put the Yarra Pier as one of his uh, top priorities for funding in, in the state elections later on this year. So we're, we're very pleased and excited about that because at least there's something moving, something happening in Geelong. And Moreover, the Central Geelong Looking Forward uh, group uh, has morphed and, and moved into uh, the Central Geelong Task Force, uh, but also it has taken on a lot of the findings of a project that the Committee for Geelong, which is obviously my present role, has uh, has put forward through the Vision 2 project. So it's nice to see that the council and the business community are working so well together. Mm. And the last 12 months at Committee for Geelong, so you've come in as the CEO, a lot of people would have watched with interest going, oh, who's this lovely lady? Uh, Come from nowhere and is now CEO of the Committee for Geelong. So um, how's the last 12 months been? The last 12 months has been an absolute whirlwind and especially given all of the announcements last year, it certainly felt as if there was um, one announcement after another with Shell and Target and Ford and other organisations but I'm very pleased. The committee is an extraordinary group of members that come together because they believe in why the organisation does what it does. So we are here for the longer term. We're more interested in the economic prosperity of Geelong and our members uh, stretch the, the breadth of, of, organi- of industry, both by sector and size. And so whilst ever other organisations do their work so well, such as the Geelong Chamber of Commerce and G21 and other groups, we can often do other things that those groups aren't able to do. So, for example, the Committee for Geelong were the ones that lobbied for a directly elected mayor. So, in essence, you could say that Darren Lyons is in his position uh, because of the work that the Committee for Geelong did. Very good. And just for for the listeners' um, benefit, the Committee for Geelong is not a government department. It's it's an unbiased um, membership group that is here for, to promote Geelong as a destination for economic purposes, for health, for social, for community. Is that correct? That's right. So the committee Sorry, that's a very uninitiated description no, of the okay. committee for no, Geelong. I think you should work here. You've got it quite right. <laughs> the committee for Geelong is an independent membership-based organisation and we're committed to leading and influencing the long-term outcomes to achieve our strategic objectives for Geelong. So as I just mentioned, our members represent the political spectrum and a breadth of industry, both by sector and size. And Our members engage with us uh, through a range of activities and the the areas that we focus on are economic prosperity and innovation, infrastructure and capacity and community leadership and advocacy. So on the one hand, we can be lobbying for, for example, a change in legislation so that our city can have its own directly elected mayor or we can be producing and collaborating uh, for a vision for Central Geelong as we did with Vision 2 
or we can be developing, for example, a rail strategy for Geelong as we currently are, or developing a second tier city policy for Geelong as we currently are. And then also complementary to all of that work is delivering our leadership programs because we believe that developing the capacity and influence of regional leaders is so important for a city of our size. Mm, working in um, recruitment in the local region, I've noticed um, the, the people coming through, the, they do come through the leadership program as well and they are that, that step above yes. um, their peers at a, exactly the same level, but if they've come through the leaders program, um, they are that, that cut above. Now, let's talk about you, Rebecca, because a lot of women out there would like to know how, how does, how does this occur? How does someone sort of push for those goals and, and gain those opportunities? So tell us about your early career. So you did a, um, a politics qualification. So was that a master's in politics? Yes. Mm-hmm. So what was the, what was the first few years like for you? And how did that put you in good stead, I guess, to, to move up the ranks to those chief of staff and then more prominent roles? Well, what I, what I learned quite early on is that, um, lifelong learning is really important and that certainly, uh, having a, a postgraduate qualification was exceptionally important if you wanted to progress to a higher level position. And so having, a, having a, a master's in, in politics and government was really essential. At the time for me, I felt that it was important to have it in that type of area because that was the area that I've worked in or that I was working in. And, but I have found that it has stood me in good stead. And the qualification that I did, it was a, it was a master's by research. So it was very, very self uh, driven mm. and um, not tied into a classroom and uh, a lecture theatre. And I worked very closely with my board of supervisors. And it was certainly something that uh, was a wonderful experience for me. And in all of the, in all of the things that I have done, one of the areas that I'm I'm quite fixed on is my persistence. So having to be a self-starter is really important and a bit like a, a dog with a bone, but also recognising, and the Americans have a wonderful saying, which is uh, to fish or cut bait. And uh, although they obviously say it in an American accent and I can't do that very well, but one has to recognize that you have to be persistent, but you also have to know when you are there, out there fishing, you've got to know when you've got to cut the bait and, um, and just move on to the next thing. So I, I've, I've tried to balance that throughout my career and my life. Very good. And would there be some pivotal moments or decisions that you've made in your career and in your life that you go, that, that was a turning point and, Quite often we have those decisions in life that we, we can either move forward, step up or carry on as, as we were. Have you had any of those decisions that have come your way that you, you've gone, I've had, that you've had to make some, some pivotal decisions? Um, to move forward. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and I think everybody in their life has to make those decisions. And one maybe that I remember from my previous career was when I was sitting around the group, around our board table with, uh, you know, there were lords and ladies and there were, as in, you know, from the house, members of the House of Lords and there were celebrities and dignitaries and senior politicians. And 
I was the executive director of that of that board, and I suddenly realised that everybody was. I thought that everybody was there to provide, you know, advice and guidance. But what I actually realised is that they were all looking at me to coordinate that. And, you know, one of the things that I've mentioned was about working with the Virginia Indians and working with Buckingham Palace to get the Queen to go over to the States. Um, but when one of my board members said to me, it would be great to import a replica 17th century ship over from the Jamestown settlement back over to the UK. You can do that, can't you, Rebecca? Well, back then, which was in, you know, it would have been about 2003, Google wasn't as well advanced. And so, but if you can imagine it in today's <laughs> day and age. Google Jamestown well, early settlership. <laughs> did it, if anyone's replica. Googled, um, you know, how to import a replica 17th century ship from the US to the UK send, it's like nothing came up. So what I realised is that I was at the pointy end of innovation and it was damn scary, but it was also really exciting because I was the one that was, you know, making that those decisions and putting forward those ideas and I didn't have to worry about um, not exceeding expectations or exceeding expectations. I just had my eye on, on the prize and, and in the end working with the Royal Navy um, meant that meant that the ship actually was brought over from the from the US to the UK. So it's those sorts of moments that are, are important. And of course, more recently over the last year, the committee has gone through enormous change, uh, both internally and externally. And as a CEO, you have to make decisions, and you'll understand this from a HR perspective, about the structure of an organisation. And sometimes that isn't always an easy decision to make. But you have to push through that because otherwise, if, if you don't make your organization fit for purpose and indeed future proof it, which is a bit of a cliche, but, uh, you know, it's really important, then you're just going to be always swimming against the tide. So that's fantastic advice. Were there any times when you had to step up that there was that little voice that said, I'm not worthy or this is, this is beyond my comfort zone. Did you ever have th those, those sort of fear mongering thoughts in, in your mind or was it, no, this is my role. I have to step up to the plate. Well, I think anybody that, that says they haven't got that little monkey that sits on their shoulder that, that t tries to tell them different things is, you know, I definitely like to meet them, but in my opinion, I took someone else's vision in, in the early stages of the Jamestown project, particularly. Um, and, and I took someone else's vision, confused goals that they had. Uh, and with very limited resources, I did confront some very doubting stakeholders of people. And you mentioned earlier on people kind of say, Oh, who is this person and how come she's got that job? Um, but sheer will and amazing creativity and moreover refusal to be told no uh, we made a formidable project by capitalizing on every opportunity and one that changed people's lives and for me that was the reason why I'd always started and wanted to work in the public sector mm. because when I in my very very early career I'd actually started to work in the private sector and I decided that actually I was more of a, a public sector individual but with a private sector skin yes and that's how I describe myself because I believe that I want to which is why this position that I have now as the CEO of the committee for Geelong is so uh, so so wonderful because it, it's a bit of both wonderful now, I don't know in politics, if I look at the politics nationally, I would say 
gosh, females really don't get a good run. Um, but I'm not sure what was, what was it like to be a woman in the political arena in the UK? Was it, was it more a bipartisan audience? And there were, I think in Australia, we find that probably local government, you see more women. Um, once you get into state, less, and once you get into federal, less still. Um, has has your gender impacted you in any way in your profession? In my career, I have not so much experienced that glass ceiling um, and I wouldn't say that I'm overly ambitious but I believe that I, I I don't discriminate, you know, from an age perspective. I was often the youngest at everything in in my in my early career in terms of local government. And I remember once uh, applying for a, a staff officer position in the, in a political office, but it was a, an apolitical position. And I remember a lady, an older lady, saying to me, who was a, a real old sort of local government employee and she said to me you'll never get that job she goes you you will have had to have worked in this organization for at least 10 years before you can jump from that salary to that salary and I said to her well um things are changing and unfortunately if you believe that then that's what's going to happen but I believe that it's possible and uh, I went back to her after I secured the job and I said to her I'm letting you know that it is actually possible to do what, what you want to do. And, and for me, it wasn't about rubbing her nose in it. It was more satisfying because actually I think that we only limit ourselves. But that said, there have been times when people have tapped me on the shoulder and given me uh, unsolicited advice about either the way that I look or the way that I speak or the way that I dress or the way that um, the, the tall poppy syndrome exists, particularly in Australia, for example, and that I might want to tone things down because of you know a few uh, a few issues. Um, but I have always uh, striven to to be myself, and I believe that I'm a professional woman who does a, a professional job, and that things are changing, and that we should be at the forefront of that change as women in our professions. Fantastic. Getting goosebumps here, Rebecca. <laughs> One of the um, International Women's Day themes for 2014 is inspiring change. So even from an early stage in your career, you've shown that change is possible uh, and you show that there is, it, for the people willing to hear and willing to engage that change and innovation is possible. Uh, what, are the, what would be some of the tips that you would give to the audience as to your approach to shaking things up and, and putting, putting ideas and innovations forward? Well, my personal goal is and always has been to bring people together to lead, to inspire and to show appreciation. I don't believe that we show appreciation enough um, we're all so busy, but I don't just mean um, sending someone a thank you email just because you feel that you have to. Uh, I mean, actually telling that person from an, an emotional intelligent perspective exactly how they made a difference to you and why that was so important. 
I've already mentioned lifelong learning as, um, you know, having to have the qualifications that match your experience is really important. And stakeholder management relationships is really key. I always say as well that we should never accept mediocrity. And by that, I mean that it's really important that we're always pushing the envelope. And again, that sounds a bit like a cliche, but we can't just stand still and and we have to move on. And sometimes moving on does mean that you have to make difficult decisions, whether it's budgetary or whether it's human resources or whether it's another decision, you know, like moving from the other side of the world or somewhere else, a different career, whatever that decision might be. But as long as you're constantly challenging that mediocrity, it's really important. I also believe that it's more important to be kind than clever. And and I think it's important to have intelligent uh, people and conversations, and, and, and I certainly believe that. But I also understand that it's important to cultivate relationships, always be reliable to follow up. And, uh, you know, I mentioned about sending genuine thank you emails, giving constructive feedback. In my position, I meet lots and lots of new people and it's always difficult to remember people's names, but I really try very hard to remember people's names. Um, and, and it goes a long way. It does go a long way, but it is difficult. And I know that it's not always easy, but um, I always have said to my team here at the committee and also in, in my previous management positions that we shouldn't just do things uh, because they have always been done that way. Um, and the challenge is to know what the right question is to ask. So I've often said, don't just do it just because we always have. And many of our changes question why. Yeah, have, have come about. So, uh, and through positivity, you know, people get stuck in the rut and nobody remembers why we're doing it. We, we just, we're it's always that, been, yeah, we've always it. done what we've always done. When, when was it, when was it, um, you know, stuck in stone and, Coming from, um, you know, I'm, I spoke about that lady who told, you know, was talking about rank and, and position. Rank and file. And, and I always try really hard uh, to remember that. And clearly it's important to talk to everybody regardless of their position. So as a CEO now, um, there are people who uh, might, in, in a position similar to mine, might not have the time of day to talk to others. But whenever I'm in the office and, you know, I will always talk to the very kind gentleman that cleans our office every morning. And, um, you know, I'm always talking to everybody. And I think it's really important to do that. Um, and character as well is important as talent and uh, and also good motives and intentions, which are broad and inclusive, I think is really important. And moving forward, you've talked about having to make some difficult decisions as a CEO and around the people and the teams and that you have to make the decision based on the vision and the future of, of where you're taking um, the group. What has it meant to have the, what has it meant to you to have the right team around you? Having the right team around me is really, really important for me I employ people because of who they are and whether whether they actually fit culturally into our organisation. So the people that I've I've handpicked, all the people that I've promoted within our organisation, all have those uh, exceptional attributes. And the values of the committee are are there uh, for us to consider. Uh, we are strategic, um, and we also are courageous. And I encourage 
our team to be just that, but we also are collaborative and we need to also be mindful of all of our members and our stakeholders uh, that we work with as well. But it's important to appoint go-to people in your team. There isn't any one member of my team now that I couldn't go to and say, I really need help with this, even though it might be outside of the scope of their job. And I'm absolutely sure that they would assist me. But likewise, I know I have an open door policy and any member of my team could come to me and say, I really need help with this. Can you help? And it's not a problem for me. Mm. Uh, we're, we're all in it together. Um, certainly they need to be trustworthy and, and I also strive to empower them as well. So I remember in, in my previous position when I was in the UK, uh, I had a particular team member who was were given to me really I mean I, I did I did appoint him actually but he was put forward and he was a traffic engineer and and here I was asking him to go and and uh, talk to Virginia Indians and, and and talk about ships and and mentioning itineraries for the Queen That's and traffic. things like that just and in a like, different way um you know <laughs> I just design I just design traffic lights That's right routes but <laughs> But the, the, the beauty of seeing how he developed for me was one of the most fulfilling things of my career that I have seen to date. And, and that is, is something that I, I find personally satisfying. Wonderful. And just finally, before we leave, what are some of the current projects or passions that you're working on at the moment? Well, I mentioned a couple earlier, but uh, through our strategic plan, it's very exciting that we're developing um, a second city policy for Geelong. The vision too is is very much uh, still in focus for us, but a uh, but but a group of uh, cities in Australia. What we're doing is looking at developing a, a cadre of those cities. It would be a national project with Geelong leading the way, because there there are lots of places that could call themselves a second tier city but how many of them are similar to Geelong in terms of population and size, geography, whether they have a university. So we're looking at developing a certain set of criteria that only a small group of cities uh, might meet. So, for example, Wollongong and Newcastle, Townsville and others would, would meet that criteria. And what, in, what implications does that have for Geelong going forward? And, and indeed the nation, our research has shown that those nations that have invested more heavily in their second tier cities have fared better in the global financial crisis than any other and we believe it's important for Geelong's future for that to happen. Right. We think uh, developing a rail policy for Geelong is important and if we were able to shrink the journey between Geelong and Melbourne then we believe that it, it would have a significant impact both economically and from a livability perspective. Is the regional rail scheme going ahead? The regional rail link is progressing yeah. and we mm. believe that you know the, the government uh, has uh, certainly progressed that in a timely fashion, uh, but that's not uh, the panacea mm. that, uh, that we perhaps all might perceive it to be. And we believe that there needs to be further study. So we have worked with our members, GHD and ACOM, to develop a brief, and we will be testing that out with some of our members. And we're looking not just at passenger time, uh, at, we're looking at linking into the Metropolitan Planning Authority's positioning of a 20-minute city, so making Geelong more accessible to those people in Melbourne and vice versa, cutting down the commuting time and also looking at freight. 
So we're also developing lots of other exciting areas as well, such as working in the food bowl and continuing to advocate for future manufacturing and looking at our international links as well. Well, that should be enough to keep you occupied, Rebecca. Well, certainly we we do like to to keep busy, Marie, and we believe that if we're not leading the change uh, for Geelong, um, for our environment, then we will be changed along the way. And we certainly, in our individual lives, I personally believe that we have to take control uh, and have the confidence because nobody else is going to do that for you and uh, and no one else really has the answer apart from you as an individual. But as an organisation, I believe that the Committee for Geelong is uh, well set now for the future. And I think that's Direction Committee for Geelong, but probably with a bit of Rebecca Casson branding. <laughs> Thank you. You're very kind. <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca, for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me along. I very much appreciated it. Rebecca Casson, an amazing, intelligent lady. I was asking my questions to Rebecca and I was sitting back going, oh, she's so smart. <laughs> but absolutely, I take my hat off to her. She's um, a bright, intelligent woman who is leading the charge for the growth and the development and the prosperity of our region. Now, before I finish up, I'll, I'll think about the, the learnings that I got from Rebecca. And first of all, um, just have the adventure in your heart. I think she, she stepped out of her comfort zone, um, moving from the UK to Australia, and she was willing to give something new a go. And if you're finding yourself a little bit stale or a little bit overwhelmed in your current position, perhaps it's time for a fresh start. If you've got it in you to, to actually make that change and you are open to be mobile for a period and you might go, it might be for a couple of years, it might be for six months, but just being willing to explore something new. The other things that uh, really struck a chord were um, just how she's been able to achieve what she's achieved. She values very highly postgraduate studies and she saw that the master's qualification that she undertook was really essential um, for the area that she was working in. But the other character traits that she brings with her to accompany her studies is her self-driven nature. Um, she enjoyed um, the autonomy that her master's provided, that it was self-driven uh, and, and it gave her autonomy to undertake the research that was required. Um, she's persistent. She's a self-starter, um, but she's not silly because if things are ready for change, um, she's open to changing and moving direction. And she gave the analogy to fish or cut bait. Sometimes there's a time to fish, but there's a time to know when to move on. And I was also interested about her um, focus on the people around her. So because Harvest Recruitment and Harvest HR, we do talk a lot about um, our teams and the people in our organisations. And she spoke very strongly about leading, inspiring, but also to show appreciation to not only her direct team, but all the stakeholders with whom she's involved with. She doesn't accept mediocrity. Um, she's reliable and she will follow up. Um, she's got to focus on the values of not just herself, but of the Committee for Geelong, which is um, to be strategic, courageous and collaborative. And finally, she 
um, seeks people who will be trustworthy. And then once they demonstrate their trustworthiness, she empowers them to the fullest. So there's a lot of things that we could take back. Um, I think she found very early because she did not discriminate according to sex or age or any um, minority elements. She in turn has not discriminated and she has been able to rise above um, any sexism that's out there, um, whether it's prominent or under the surface. And she has not seen her gender um, being a, a contributing factor or a, a disqualifying factor in her career. So a very inspirational woman. I trust that you were able to take some something away from that interview as well that you can apply either to your business or your personal life. We have a couple of extra podcasts for March because we were initially planning to do a montage of different presenters and um, bring them all together for International Women's Day, but that would have made our podcast probably two hours long, which might be a little bit long in the tooth. So we've actually separated them. So we've got two more podcasts that will be running leading up to International Women's Day, and I'm delighted to um, interview Stephanie Asher, who has been a prominent lady in the the Geelong region again of more recent times. She ran for the mayor um, in the first election, came runner-up, and she ran for the mayor in her second election and came runner-up. So she's gone from um, not really in the spotlight to well and truly in the spotlight in the region, and we just get her views on you know, the journey so far as well. And um, again, she's a woman of um, presence. So I thought it would be good to have her along. And our third interview is with Vicki Shelton. So the third podcast in the series is with Vicki Shelton, who's the manager of the Department of Engineering Services, which is the engineering team for City of Greater Geelong. And it staffs approximately 70 people, including traffic engineers and civil engineers and um, drafts people and, and surveyors and planners, etc. So I look forward to um, that podcast as well. So stay tuned and look out if you've listened to this one, listen to podcast number two with Stephanie Asher and podcast number three in the International Women's Day series with Vicki Shelton. So we've had a little bit of a diversion this podcast from our traditional theme of how to attract, select and retain the right staff in your organisation. But I hope you're enjoying the podcast series and it's really it's good for um, women in business, um, women in industry, women in government to just tap into these podcasts. Also men, I'm not saying that the information is purely the domain of women. We're not talking a secret women's business here. Um, But it's been a good diversion to just look at women leaders and to see what it takes and what they've done to achieve the roles that they've, they've gained. So we look forward to having you again in the next podcast. And just a reminder, if you are in that Um, framework of looking to find the next person for your organisation. Come along to our book launch if you are in the Geelong region, Friday the 14th of March, 5.30 to 7pm at Four Points by Sheraton. And yeah, pick up a copy of the book, Body Snatchers, Unlocking the Secrets of the Recruitment Industry. Hopefully we'll see you there. You have been listening to Harvest Recruitment's Seeds for Success show with Marie Harris. Want to cultivate your employment prowess? Then visit harvesthr.com.au.